Hello, everyone. This is Steve Atkins with Barnes and Thornburg in Washington, D.C., and you're listening to the IP Fridays podcast. Hello, and welcome to this episode of IP Fridays. Our names are Ken Suzanne and Rolf Clayson, and this is the podcast dedicated to intellectual property. It does not matter where you are from, in-house or private practice, novice or expert. We will help you stay up to date with current topics in the fields of trademarks, patents, design and copyright, discover useful tools, and much more. Welcome to episode 147 of IP Fridays. Today's episode is the last episode of this year, and both my co-host Ken Suzanne and I hope that you have and you enjoy a really nice holiday season, and we both wish you a very successful year 2024. Today's interview guest is Stephen Atkins, and he is an experienced ITC litigator, and he will talk about the latest tips and strategies to use the ITC to your advantage. But before we jump into the interview, I have news for you. There is a Russian law in the pipeline, bill number 104796-8. If a foreign business with more than 25% foreign participation terminates, suspends or significantly reduces its operations in Russia, it may face a temporary hostile takeover. Assets such as IP rights may, may then be transferred to other companies in Russia or to the government. The Unified Patent Court has published statistics about the first half year of its operations. So in the first half year, 67 infringement cases have been brought before the UPC uh, and only 24 revocation actions. And um, of the 67 infringement actions, only 48 have been countered with a counterclaim for revocation. So in a little bit more than 25% of the infringement cases, the patent that is um, asserted has not been faced with a counterclaim for revocation. Out of the 24 revocation actions, 20 have been filed with the Paris Central Division, while only four have been filed with the Munich Central Division. Most infringement cases have been brought before the local division in Munich, followed by Düsseldorf, Mannheim, and then the Paris local division. So far, only one action for the declaration of non-infringement has been filed. The IP5 offices have also published some statistics. In 2021, 3.4 million patent applications were filed worldwide, and 93% originated in the IP5 jurisdictions namely the European Patent Office, Japan, Korea, uh, South Korea, and China, as well as the United States. In 2022, 2.9 million patent applications were filed at the IP5 offices, and the EPO saw a demand for patents grow further in 2022. It received nearly 200,000 European patent applications last year an increase of 2.5% over the previous year. A court in the People's Republic of China, a case in a case of Li versus Liu, 
has decided that a work generated with the AI tool Stable Diffusion had copyright and the author could sue for copyright infringement. The court emphasized that the picture was not merely a product of AI but reflected Mr. Lee's intellectual contributions and aesthetic choices. In the patent fight of BioNTech versus CureVac, CureVac has received a first blow. The German Federal Patent Court has rejected a patent for COVID-19 vaccine after BioNTech had attacked this patent with an invalidity action. Now let's jump into the interview with Stephen Atkins. Our guest today on the IP Fridays podcast is Stephen Atkins. Stephen is a partner with Barnes & Thornburg and is based out of the firm's office in Washington, D.C. Steve has had extensive experience in handling Section 337 investigations before the International Trade Commission, or ITC, and at U.S. Customs. His experience spans a multitude of industries, including automotive, computer software, chemicals, mechanical patents, semiconductors, and telecommunications. He has assisted companies worldwide, including in Asia, Europe, South America, and throughout the United States. Steve is a frequent speaker and author on matters related to intellectual property litigation and Section 337 investigations. He holds a BA with honors from Georgia College and received his JD from the University of Richmond School of Law. Welcome, Stephen, to the IP Fridays podcast. Thank you. Stephen, let's first start out with a basic question. What is the ITC? Well, as you said, the ITC is the International Trade Commission uh, based here in Washington, and it administers all sorts of trade regulations uh, from sanctions to subsidies to countervailing duties. But the work that we do uh, is particular to uh, IP and the uh, prohibition of in unfair imports that um, people may bring products into the United States that infringe intellectual property. And the International Trade Commission has judges assigned to hear these cases. Uh, the statute is called Section 337, which is just uh, the, the, the statutory section is really 1337. But for shorthand reference, they all we all say 337. Mm -hmm. So it, it is probably the most effective place on the planet to stop unfair imports, uh, usually infringing imports or uh, imports that uh, derive from unfair competition. Mm -hmm. Okay. Now, why would someone use the ITC to enforce their intellectual property rights versus going to a, a federal district court? Well, there are several reasons, Ken, that you, you would do that. One is just the power of the remedies at the ITC, uh, and we'll, we may talk about those later, but just generally, the ITC will issue orders directing customs to seize products as they come into the country. So in district court, your, your likely only available remedy is, is damages based on some reasonable royalty or lost profits. Um, but a judgment that you get from a district court is only as good as the assets you can find in the U.S., unless you want to go through some very complicated uh, foreign process of, of seizing assets. Um, the, the ITC is a much more powerful uh, venue than district courts. 
Uh, subpoena power, for example, is nationwide. Um, oftentimes, uh, when when one is sued at the ITC at the in district court, one would go to the patent office and try to open up an a, a, an ancillary proceeding, if you will, to try to kill the patent. And those are called IPRs or post grant reviews. And many times, district court judges who have a full plate of guns and drugs and all sorts of other things, they will grant motions to stay in the district court action until the pending parallel proceeding at the Patent and Trademark Office is finished. That almost never happens at the ITC. So if you want a quick remedy, the ITC is much preferable to district court, where even if you don't get a stay in district court, it could take you two to four years to get to trial. The ITC, you're in trial in six to seven months. Mm. Now, does the ITC address invalidity issues or is it just infringement? It addresses invalidity and infringement. You may bring claims, excuse me, if you're sued at the ITC, you may raise invalidity uh, or uh, unenforceability. Those sorts of defenses are available at the ITC. Does that happen often, that type of um, invalidity action? Yes, the invalidity does, you know, uh, you know, based on prior art, or, you know, anticipation or obviousness, those come up in almost every case, I believe. Um, uh, unenforceability for uh, uh, patent prosecution uh, misbehavior is, is rarer, if you will, but, um, but invalidity comes up in almost every investigation. And, and the cases, by the way, under Section 337 are called investigations, uh, not, not cases. Okay. What about redesigns? Are redesigns litigated at the ITC? Well, they should be, Ken. Uh, sometimes they are not because you can't get the redesign done um, in time for the judge to hear it. Um, but they should be because they can often be a silver bullet at the ITC. Um, and remember, uh, at the ITC, if you speak of one product and you accuse one product of infringing, Model X, when the commission enters these orders, it go, they go to customs and they don't say seize Model X. They say to customs, seize everything that infringes this patent, this patent, and the other. So the, the order you get from the ITC is going to be much broader than the one product they discussed or may have discussed at the ITC. So if you're sued there, you want to get a sense of how they're reading their patent the broad way they may be reading their claims, their patent claims, and get a redesign into the commission. We've had instances where, well, every instance, frankly, that I that we've represented or defended a respondent, and our practice is about 80% respondents, 20% complainants. Every time we have said, you really should consider a redesign. And without fail, almost every client says, no need for that. We don't infringe. We knew about this patent, or we now know about it. We've compared the pro our products. We don't infringe. Well, if, if you didn't infringe, or you, they didn't have a good argument you didn't infringe, they wouldn't be spending money on these lawyers and experts and the distraction of bringing an ITC case mm -hmm. uh, because they think that maybe you do infringe, and they, they, are, they are confident that you do. So a redesign is litigated at the ITC if you can get it in in time. Um, we have we worked on a, on a matter for a German company and a Chinese company re, uh, several years ago. We came up with a redesign. We worked with an engineering firm in Chicago. 
we got around what we thought was the broadest read of these patent claims. I took that to the, and we didn't think we could get a patent on the redesign because it really was covered by prior art. So we went to the plaintiff's counsel and said, here's our redesign, let's have a settlement um, and we'll forget about the original products that you accused of infringing, we'll stop importing those. This redesign does not infringe, let us bring this in. They fought us tooth and nail to keep it out of the investigation. And the, one of the reasons they did that is because I think they too thought it didn't infringe. But once these orders issue at the ITC, the patent holder no longer has to show that you do infringe. If you want to import product to the US, you have the burden of showing that you do not infringe. So once these orders issue, and most of these cases are patent cases, probably 97% of them, uh, but once you show, uh, or once the plaintiff shows that you infringe, the order will go to customs saying, seize everything that infringes these patents. And anytime you want to bring something in, you have to prove then that you do not infringe. So there's a real change of burdens. So you always want to get in, get this in when the patent holder still has the burden to prove you infringe. Mm -hmm. uh, oftentimes that can't happen. Now we were able to, because we actually offered to pay for uh, some new depositions of our expert. Um, we paid some lawyer time. We did what we could to accommodate. And the judge actually let us in, let it in, even though uh, we were past the deadline because we couldn't come up with the product in time. Um, but we did do that. And the answer to your question is yes, redesigns are litigated if they can be done so in, in time. What would you say, Steve, are the primary differences between a district court action and an ITC investigation? Namely, if a party was trying to figure out, you know, whether these differences would affect their decision of, of using a particular uh, way to solve a dispute. I think the main difference, Ken, is the speed. I mean, certainly the, the remedies are different. I mean, the in the in district courts, you're almost never going to get an injunction. If you can meet the eBay factors, perhaps you will. But in district court, you're going to get a money judgment. A money judgment is not money, as I said earlier. Mm -hmm. um, you've got to find the products. So uh, one difference is speed. You're going to be in trial years earlier at the ITC. You're going to get an order banning products very soon. Uh, discovery at the ITC is almost unlimited. Some judges uh, put a cap on interrogatories of uh, 175. In district court, I think you have 21 interrogatories. District court, you get 30 days to respond to limited discovery. At the ITC, you get about 10 days to respond to almost unlimited discovery. Um, uh, stays, the way I mentioned earlier, you, you're almost never going to get a stay in favor of a patent office invalidity proceeding of an ITC case, you often get those stays in district court. Um, and another difference that people might keep in mind is in, in Beijing, and I've worked with the Beijing government a bit over the years. Um, uh, in in Beijing, at the um, in the central government, the, the national government, they have a division that does nothing but support Chinese companies sued at the ITC. They arrange the beauty pageants for American lawyers to go over into smoke-filled, often unair-conditioned rooms in August or whenever the suits are brought. 
And you, uh, MOFCOM or this area, Ministry of Finance and Commerce, uh, will support Chinese companies that have been named in an ITC proceeding. Um, that doesn't happen for district court. There's no division in some corner in Beijing that deals with district court actions. They are concerned about ITC actions. And they're concerned, by the way, uh, with all the companies that are subject to risk of an ITC action. Uh, it can be more than just the companies named in the complaint or even mentioned in the complaint. Mm -hmm. What about costs, Steve? Um, I hear that ITC actions can cost lots more than a regular district court patent litigation. Yeah, I, I hear that. I often hear it from people who don't know what they're talking about, um, mm -hmm. which happens quite often in Washington, D.C., uh, in other contexts. Um, I think if you manage these things properly, and that's something that we do, uh, we are, for example, about to start a webinar to uh, for our clients called The Storm Before the Storm. And it's the, the critical time when, when these complaints are filed at the ITC, the commission takes 30 days to assess whether the complaint is in order, whether the exhibits are, are proper, whether there's a domestic industry, and that is an industry in the United States that the commission is designed to protect. So they take 30 days to look at the complaint before any discovery, before the answer to the complaint, none of that is due. That calm before the storm or storm before the storm is the time when you can sit and think. As Warren Buffett says, uh, activity is not achievement. Um, one needs to sit and think about, you know, let's put a litigation hold in place. Let's find counsel. Let's find experts. Uh, and I think as, as some people hire folks, I know Warren Buffett says this often, that when he hires people, he looks for um, intelligence, energy, and integrity or character. And he said, if they don't have the last one, the first two will kill you. <laughs> you want that sort of reckoning, that sort of decision making happening in the first 30 days. And if you take full advantage of those 30 days and you plot your course and you decide what you're going to do, then you can minimize costs. And if you don't go chasing everything under the sun, frankly, you don't have time to at the ITC. It's not like a district court where you can proceed at a fairly leisurely pace. At the ITC, you have to trim your sales. Um, and there is what I find a disgusting habit of some lawyers who say, you've been sued at the ITC, the sky is falling. Start writing very big checks. I was on a call recently with a lawyer who is a very seasoned lawyer, in-house counsel, in-house IP counsel for a major American company. And she said to me, the fee quote you just gave me for a one patent case is about five times less. So I want to make sure I heard you and I want you to put that in writing if we're going to do business. And of course, I put it in writing and I'll sign my name to it. Um, I don't think you need to make these things so complicated and expensive as many people want them to be. And if you are always in a flurry of activity and reacting instead of sitting on your derriere and, and thinking, Yes, they can be very expensive. They will be more expensive than a district court case. But if you manage these things properly, if you have the right temperament, often I think clients look at where where people went to school. Um, 
uh, or what their pedigree is, uh, I think you should be looking at their temperament. How are they going to react? And you should quiz them when you're hiring them. How are you going? What are the first four things you're going to do in this intense process that we're about to undergo? If you if you manage this properly and you, you spend more time thinking than acting, I, there's not a lot of difference. Uh, one difference in the fees between an ITC and district court is the ITC fees come more quickly. You're going to be paying lawyers at a, a much faster pace than you would in district court. Um, and that's just the nature of the of the timeline of, the, of an ITC proceeding. Mm-hmm. Now, let's talk about a win at the ITC. What does that mean? What will the company receive if it wins at the ITC? Well, you can get orders to customs saying, seize these people's products, seize my competitors' products. You can also get uh, a cease and desist order. Um, and the cease and desist order is administered by the commission, and that affects inventory. So if there is inventory that you have shipped into, you've kept in the United States, the cease and desist order will address that sort of inventory. But before we get into that, maybe the, the best thing to do is to talk a bit more about the customs orders. There are two types of customs orders. One says to customs, seize the products of the companies that I named in the complaint fairly common occurrence. You're, 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 there's a plaintiff or plaintiffs and they're defendants. They're in the complaint. You know who they are. Get to customs. They seize just their products. But the, the one thing that concerns the Chinese and should concern many people in many different industries is the fact that you can sue people at the ITC and not tell them. You can go to the commission and ask for a general exclusion order. And with that order, Customs is required to seize the products of everyone who imports, even if the company is not even in business when you were doing the trial, even if the company was not mentioned in the complaint, their products can be seized. And I know firsthand of a couple of companies that have made investments thinking all my competitors have been sued at this strange place in Washington, D.C. called the ITC. I'm going to sell to their customers because soon customs is going to seize the products and their supplies are going to be cut off. People have spent millions of dollars under the misimpression that they had not, their products were not also at risk. So that's a very powerful remedy. And that gets Beijing's attention. Many Chinese companies, of course, supply products to the United States. And the fact that an entire industry could be shut out, that gets people's attention. You can't have that in district court. You get that at the ITC. So that's one big uh, difference or one big thing you get from the ITC if you win. On the cease and desist order that I spoke about earlier, which says if you've got inventory in the U.S. or you're marketing in the U.S., you have to ship it back out. About 15 years ago, we were called to by a company in Taiwan. They had lost at the ITC, um, and the ITC had issued a limited exclusion order and a cease and desist order. And I said to the boss's assistant in this conference room, so you have a cease and desist here, so you have to ship out this inventory. And she said, you foreign lawyers are not very good business people. Do you understand how much money we have spent renting warehouses to ship product in 
because we wanted to outrun customs. That's what our, our last lawyer told us to do. And I said, well, I, I, she said, we're going to continue selling. And I said, well, then I can't help you because uh, a lawyer who will lie for you will lie to you. And I, I'm not going to risk my reputation or go against integrity to, to do this. So uh, you, you really should reconsider this. But let me give you a real reason to reconsider it. Every day that you keep selling and you keep advertising is $100,000 penalties. So she went down the hall, talked to the president of the company, and she came back and she said, the president of the company wants to know Taiwan dollar or US dollar? <laughs> I said, it's a US dollar. She said, okay, then we'll we'll ship the stuff back out and we'll close the warehouses. Wow. Um, so that's another very powerful win at the ITC. It is sometimes not asked for by people at the ITC uh, uh, who file complaints at the ITC. Um, but it almost always should be. If you have any inkling, there's inventory in the U.S., you want to get that order because for all sorts of post-ITC and, and in your interactions with customs, you want the threat of $100,000 a fine per day coming down on someone who tries to bring what they call redesigned products in um, because th that's a big risk for, for most companies. Very interesting, Steve. We have uh, two more questions to wrap up the podcast. Um, first question that I have for you, what are the things that a company that is sued at the ITC um, sh should do within, within the 30 days after the complaint is filed and before the ITC starts the case? There are a number of things, um, and as I mentioned earlier, we're doing this webinar starting next month, a series of webinars on the, the storm before the storm. Uh, of course, the first thing you want to do at a very high level is, can I settle this? Am I going to pay for a license about what I'd pay these lawyers? And if so, you probably want to do that because you, you don't want to deal with this litigation, this intense distraction and expensive distraction if you don't have to. Uh, of course, you want to put a litigation hold in place. Companies have outright lost cases worth billions at the ITC because they didn't put a litigation hold in place. Now, those companies uh, affirmatively put a put a document destruction program in place that they shouldn't have done. But um, you want a litigation hold in place, and you want that to be pretty broad. Um, and then you want to talk to counsel. You want to find lawyers who have experience at the ITC. You want to ask them a series of questions. You know, what what would you do? What are the first few things you would do if you were my lawyer? Uh, uh, how do you hand, How do you react to things? What's your What's your way of working with ITC staff? Uh, what's your presentation style? You want to learn about temperament. I mean, you can look at someone's bio and see what fancy schools or unfancy schools they went to. But what you really want in a lawyer is temperament and discipline uh, and integrity, of course. If, if, if they don't have integrity, you want them to be dumb and lazy because the other, they'll get you in whole, all sorts of trouble if, if they don't have the integrity or the temperament they need. Yeah. Um, and then you want to find an expert and you want an expert who can talk to normal people. I've been in some of these proceedings where the only people in the room who understood what the expert and the examining lawyer, the presenting lawyer were talking about were those two people. 
as far as I could tell, the judge was was left out of the conversation. Um, so you want people who are who are sensitive to those things. Um, you want to get your house in order. You want to get your documents ready. You want to figure out who your spokesperson is going to be. You want to talk to your customers. You don't want your competitors talking to your customers. And you want to know what you're going to say to the customers. What are you willing to say to them? What are you willing to put in writing? I expect what you're willing to say to them is going a great deal more than what you're willing to put in writing. But you want to you want to begin telling your story. You want to prepare your story throughout humankind. We've listened to stories. We learn by stories. It's not some road exercise of look at this patent claim and look at that product. That's not the way humans function. That's not the way judges function as humans. Uh, and you want someone who can tell a story and you need to be involved in preparing that story and in relaying that story. Um, but you need to get your house in order. You need to understand the mechanics of responding to an ITC complaint. It's quite different from responding to a district court complaint, much more involved. You need to know things about U.S. market share and uh, who your suppliers are, what the customs numbers are for your imports. All of those sorts of things have to be provided to the ITC in, in your response to the complaint. Um, so those are things that need to happen uh, up front um, uh, in that 30-day uh, quiet period, if you will. Really interesting and helpful information indeed. Last question today, have the tensions between the United States and China uh, caused an uptick in the number of Section 337 cases? I get that question quite often, and I, I think not at all. Um, I don't think, I mean, this is about competitors. I mean, when I'm in China, I, go, I used to go quite frequently, people would say, why is the government coming after me? This is not the government. Um, this is a competitor who sees another competitor as being unfair or having a, an advantage that they don't that they want to neutralize. It's competitor to competitor. I, I don't think that, that Beijing and Washington are having squabbles. I don't think that affects the ITC in this area uh, at all. It's um, uh, I think you're going to still have the litigation you've had in the past. Um, it, previously, Chinese company, a lot of China companies have not been overly fond of paying lawyers, and therefore they would default. I think you're seeing that change. Um, uh, some Chinese companies have actually brought ITC cases. They've actually intervened and won at the ITC. One company intervened in the case and said, these folks are seeking a general exclusion order. They didn't name me. I sell product to the US. Let me intervene in the case because I have an interest. And here's a motion for summary judgment or summary determinations, we call it the ITC, that I don't infringe. And they won that case uh, 10 years ago. You would not have seen that in from a company based in China. So uh, no is the answer to your question in my in my experience. Thank you so much, Stephen. This has been a fantastic experience to talk with you on these topics. And thank you for spending time with us today on the IP Fridays podcast. My pleasure. Thank you, Ken. That's it for this episode. If you liked what you heard, please show us your love by visiting ipfridays.com slash love and tweet a link to this show. We would be so grateful if you would do that. It would help us out to get the word out. 
Also, please subscribe to our podcast at ipfridays.com or on iTunes or Stitcher.com. If you have a question or want to be featured in one of the upcoming episodes, please send us your feedback at ipfridays.com feedback. Also, please leave us a review on iTunes. You can go to ipfridays.com iTunes and it will take you right to the correct page on iTunes. If you want to get mentioned on this podcast or even have comments within the next episode, please leave us your voicemail at ipfridays.com slash voicemail. You have been listening to an episode of IP Fridays. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of nor are they endorsed by their respective law firms. None of the content should be considered legal advice. The IP Fridays podcast should not be construed as legal advice or legal opinion on any specific facts or circumstances. The contents of this podcast are intended for general informational purposes only, and you are urged to consult your own lawyer on any specific legal questions. As always, consult a lawyer or patent or trademark attorney. Copyright 2014. All rights reserved.